Welcome to episode 185 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Michelle Davis. Michelle served as an aviation resource manager and talked about her experience in the Air Force. She wanted to go to college, but knew that her parents couldn't support her financially, so she decided the military would be a good way to get the benefits so that she could go to college. She ended up staying in the Air Force until retirement. She met her husband very quickly and got married, and they were dual military until he left the military to be a military spouse and follow her through her career. We talked about the challenges of being a mom and having a husband as a military spouse and just the overall experience that she had in the military and what she's doing today. So let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Michelle. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Well, there were a couple of reasons. The first reason was because I knew that my parents couldn't financially help me go to college. And I thought that going to college was important. So I knew that the Air Force could help me to do that and that they would pay for my schooling. And when I was in high school, I was in junior ROTC. And so I knew that after that, with three years of junior ROTC, if I enlisted, that I would automatically be an A1C. So I did that. And what led you to join junior ROTC? So I had some friends that were a part of that and they kind of drew me in to change my classes. And there were several opportunities within junior ROTC that I was interested in, uh, one of which was the color guard. And so my first and second year of junior ROTC, I went to football games to help with the color guard and presenting the flags. And so that was kind of my first initiation into finding out anything about the Air Force. And when did you decide that it wasn't just a junior ROTC thing, but something that you wanted to do where you actually wanted to enlist into the military? Between my junior and senior year, I decided that I definitely wanted the benefits that the Air Force had to offer and that it was going to be a good thing for me. So I actually joined, I went and saw a recruiter and joined the delete entry program and had to have my parents sign the paperwork because at that point I was still too young, hadn't quite turned 17 yet. And so my parents were a little hesitant, but I said, well, you can either pay for me to continue to live here and eat your food for six months, or you can sign it now and let me go, or you can feed me for another six months, or you can let the Air Force feed me. And so they decided to sign the paperwork and let me go. And then when you said it that way, they were like, okay, I think that's a good idea. I'll sign the paperwork. Right. And so when did you go to basic training? In June of 1998, I graduated high school May 23rd of 98, and I went to basic training on June 24th. So not very long after high school. Correct. And did you feel prepared from doing junior ROTC to start your life in the Air Force? I didn't really realize how much more prepared I was until I was in basic training. And I realized, oh, wow, nobody here has ever worn a uniform before. And so I had at least that little bit of experience because I had been wearing an Air Force uniform for three years prior to that. And so I was able to help some other folks in my basic training with that type of stuff. And what was your career field? 
I was an aviation resource manager or 1C0. And what does that mean to like normal people? (laughs) Normal people. So basically what that means is that we did a lot of data entry. So you will find aviation resource managers in one of two places. You will find them usually in an operation support squadron or OSS. And they work in the harm there or host aviation resource management section. And in the harm, they do things like flight pay and flight records, those types of things. And then in the SARM or squadron aviation resource management sections, we enter flight time and do the data entry and training for all air crew. So you'll find us either in a harm or in a flying squadron usually. Sounds like a really important aspect of flying that a lot of people don't realize like how much there is besides like the pilot and the flight crew to the maintainers and everybody that is makes up running an Air Force jet or airplane, depending on what it is. There's so much that goes into it. And I'm sure you've seen so much of it. Absolutely. That's definitely, we're definitely the behind the scenes or the unsung heroes, I'll say, of of the operation for sure. And if you go out on the airforce.mil website, or if you search aviation resource management on Google, there are quite a few articles about how vital aviation resource managers are to the operation of the Air Force and, and flying airplanes. But I think a lot of people might be unaware about how, not just how vital they are, but how different it is to learn how to be an aviation resource manager. Because when we go through our tech school, we are basically given the authority to tell a pilot or tell a crew that they are either authorized to fly or not authorized to fly based on their medical readiness, as well as the training that they have completed or haven't completed. So for instance, if you have a pilot who's overdue on a training item and has to fly with an instructor, that's something that an aviation resource manager would tell them, no, you can't fly until X, Y, and Z is accomplished, or um, you have to fly with an instructor, or your medical status has to be updated. So the aviation resource management folks have a unique opportunity in that we're an enlisted career field, but we have the authority to tell officers in some cases when you're telling pilots, yes, they can board a jet or no, they cannot. And so it's a unique opportunity as well as a great starting point for communications and human resources and a great area to deal with people. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. So how long was your tech school after basic training? Only about six weeks. Okay. And then did you go to your first base and or was there any other training required? So tech school was it. And then my first duty station was Mountain Home Air Force Base, Idaho. And I actually traded in tech school. I remember uh, we got orders. Uh, the whole class got orders and my orders were to Tyndall in Florida And I was born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, so I wanted to see something else other than the Southeast. And so I traded with somebody to go to Idaho, and I got to see mountains for the first time in my whole life. I'm pretty sure it wasn't that hard to trade. You're like, you want to go to the beach? (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, there there were some other people that definitely wanted 
Um, definitely one in Florida versus Idaho. So it was an easy trade for sure. And what was that experience like being in a totally different environment, being in the mountains, being away from home? What was that experience like? It was very interesting for sure. It was the first time that I had ever been away from home for an extended period of time my whole life. And it was it was very interesting. Um, I was only there a few months when I met my husband, who was actually stationed at a different base. And so I only ended up being at Mountain Home for a little over a year because he and I got married and I moved to Beale Air Force Base in California. So he wasn't assigned at your base, but you met him. And then I need to know that story. (laughs) So I actually was best friends with um, someone I went to high school with. And he had joined the Air Force a year prior to me. We went to high school together. And he went to Goodfellow Air Force Base to his tech school and then got assigned to Beale. And I was going to go visit my friend at Beale. And he was actually still in New Orleans at home on leave. And so I called his roommate up and said, Hey, I know that David's not coming back until such and such date. Can I drive to California and meet you early so that I can go help you pick him up at the airport? And his roommate said, Yep, that's cool. You can do that. No problem. And I met his roommate. And six months later, his roommate and I were married. And that was almost 23 years ago. That's quite a short engagement. <laughs> and you guys were really young, right? Because you were... We were. Wow. So did you just communicate via phone calls and letters or... Phone calls, letters, and we would meet each other halfway. Um, I would drive to him, he would drive to me, or we would meet somewhere halfway. That's crazy. Crazy. Yep. Still married, so it worked. When you know, you know. So you guys were separated a little bit afterwards to get like all the paperwork and all that sort of thing. And then you got stationed together and you were able to meet him in Gill where he already was. And then throughout your guys' career, did you both stay on active duty till retirement? No. So he actually served, um, he ended up serving almost five years just only because of stop loss. And then, um, so he did four years and eight months. And then he separated and got out and used his GI Bill to finish college. And I continued to be active duty until I retired in 2020. So what was that experience like having a male military spouse? I know there's not a lot of them and I've heard some interesting stories. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I always try to encourage him to be part of spouse organizations and that type of thing. But he wasn't really keen on that idea just because my husband's a teacher by trade. And so he was like, well, you know... I don't necessarily want to go. He's like, I'm in a female dominated career field. I don't want to go sit in a room with a bunch of women after work and hang out and talk about what you guys do at work. So not really my thing. And so I never really was able to get him involved in that way. So that was a little bit different. Um, And I always felt like I was the minority in the fact that I had a male spouse. And so even 15, 16, 17 years into the Air Force, sometimes I would walk into a room and I was still the only woman in there, you know? And so it it was really 
the Air Force has come, you know, a long way in my 22 years of service, but there's still a lot of circumstances where you can walk into the room and still be the only woman. So it's still very different. For sure. So did you ever PCS when you guys were both active duty or did he get out while you were still at Beale? Yeah. So he got out while we were at Beale and then I PCS by then it was with him and we had a daughter. Um, we PCS to Little Rock and we were there at Little Rock for five years and my son was born at Little Rock. And then we PCS from Little Rock to Keesler. I met uh, one of my mentors at Little Rock and he PCS to Keesler and called me up one day and said, Hey, I know you've been trying to get out of the career field for a little while. You've been, you know, making, trying to make it work with like, I was applying to ALS. I was applying to NCO Academy. Like I wanted to teach or do something different than the career field for a little while. And he called me up one day and said, Hey, you know, I, I have this job at Keesler and I know you already have your CCAF degree. So if you apply, you'll probably get hired. And so I applied and sure enough, got hired and we moved to Keesler and I got to teach the aviation resource management career field uh, for almost four years. And then on my last year at Keesler, I was deployed to the Philippines for seven and a half months, which ended up leading to my next assignment, which I deployed to the Philippines and got to actually work with the people who would then be my next bosses when I PCS to Kadena. Talk about your deployment and what it was like, because you already mentioned that you were a mom of two. Yep. And so what was it like to deploy overseas and be gone for seven months? And your husband was holding down the fort and he was a teacher. So did he, he was working and he was. So what was that experience like? Let's talk about that. Um, so it was more difficult to leave them than I ever expected, for sure. At that point, my kids were five and 10, and I'd not been, other than short little training TDYs here and there, I hadn't really been, I hadn't been deployed overseas at all. And so, other than before I was married. And so, it was really difficult to leave them, number one. Um, and I remember that was kind of, it was in 2011 when, like, I don't know if it was just the height of when, like, Skype was coming out or if the technology was really that new or if it was just new to us. But I remember um, getting all the computers set up with Skype before I left and um, I had been gone about two weeks and had gotten settled um, at my deployed location. And I was in constant contact with my family, you know, writing them emails and we would Skype, you know, a couple times a week or whatever. And I finally got to the point where I had to send my husband a note and just tell him we can't do the Skype camera anymore because it's killing me to watch them right before my eyes. They're growing and I can't. I can't stand to see that. And so turn the cameras off and we just did the voice chat and then he had the kids start writing me letters. And so that was much better for me than actually watching them grow. That was too hard for me. That's a really good insight because I've never heard anyone talk about that. But I mean, you think about, oh, the technology is so great because you can see each other. But then you don't think about like you can see your kids growing up like while you're not there. And that's a really good boundary to set. You were like, I can't do this. And the fact that your husband was like, no, it's, you just, you'll be fine. That he listened to you and supported you and that you guys were able to make that shift is 
that's really good. And, and it's good that you found a way to stay connected to your family and take out the thing that was like causing you the most pain. Oh, for sure. So what was it like when you came home from the deployment? Like, what was the uh, adjustment period like for you and your kids and you and your husband? It was actually kind of crazy because I returned from that deployment and lots of things happened while I was there. So um, at that point, I during my deployment, I found out that we had orders to Kadena. So I knew that we were moving and some things with the assignment process had gotten a little messed up. So... I originally wasn't going to go overseas, but AFPC made a mistake and they gave my assignment that I was supposed to have because I was on a mandatory move to someone else. They had to take it away from that person and give it back to me because I was more eligible. And so the orders were last minute as well as like the whole process that we were going to actually move. So I returned from my deployment uh, October 3rd of 2011. And by the week before Thanksgiving in November of that year, we were already in Japan. So that part was crazy. I also found out that I had a line number for master at that point. And so those were big changes coming as well. And so we had to deal with mom coming home and reuniting as a family. And oh, by the way, now we're gonna move 8,000 miles away from everything that we know. So the the adjustment period was hard, but we got through it and um, kind of gelled back as a team, I think, once we made it to Kadena and got settled. Yeah, it's almost like you had to postpone the like, bro, is it redeployment the military calls it? The, you were like, the mission still has to get done. Like we have to get moved to Japan. And then once we're in Japan, then we can like, breathe and be a family yeah that sounds like a lot of and and your kids and your husband and everybody like had a part to play and getting ready to go and so it wasn't just like you were busy everybody was busy we were all right so what was it like to be living in japan with like you said 10 and 5 so yes they were a good age i feel like that you got to do a lot of stuff so what was that experience like it was amazing to see my kids have that experience. It was an experience that I never thought in a million years, you know, as that girl that was in junior ROTC in high school, never imagined that I was able, would be able to give my kids that opportunity for advancement in life. And I'm super grateful now that I look back on it, that I was able to give them that opportunity. They absolutely loved Japan for lots of reasons. But when my assignment at Kadena, when I was ready for that assignment to be over, my kids and husband didn't want to leave. So much so that they pleaded and begged me to stay. I did not want to stay at Kadena. I was ready um, to come back to the States, but they begged me to look and see what else was out there. And it just so happened that we were lucky enough to leave Kadena and go to Yokota right after that. So we were able to stay in Japan. And then we ended up being there seven years. And so my kids spent all of their formative years pretty much in Japan. And if you ask them, uh, even today, they still think Japan is more home than the States are. Wow, that's such a such an interesting experience. And so cool to hear about 
how your kids got to experience a foreign country through your service and how they still have fond memories of it today, which is, you know, that's just so cool. It's 2022. So yeah. So that's like 10 years. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, um, a, it was a great experience for them. And, um, my husband loved it so much that, um, he went back. So he actually lives, uh, in Sasebo, Japan and teaches for Dodea now. But you're not in Japan, right? I'm not. No. Um, my daughter has moved out. So she's old enough to be on her own. And my son and I live together in Mississippi. And I recently in November started working for the Department of the Air Force as a civilian. So wow, lots of change. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we got to keep up, keep up with the change, keep the changes coming. We like change if, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> So after your seven years, did you come back to the States, do one more assignment and then get out of the Air Force or? Yes. So once uh, Yokota was finished um, in 2015, we PCS'd from Yokota to Luke Air Force Base in Arizona. Um, And then I did two more years of service at Luke and then retired from there. And what was the transition out of the military like? That was pretty interesting as well, because I don't like to just do one change at a time. I have to, as as you can see, I like lots of change all at the same time. Um, let's make it as complicated as it could possibly be. When we were stationed at Yakota, I actually thought we were going to be there for four years, but about three years in, my husband got really ill. And so that's what prompted our assignment to Luke prior to the four-year mark. And so he needed to get um, some medical care that they couldn't provide at Yakota. And so when we moved to Luke, we were actually there about a year and a half. And my husband was like, I'm ready to go back. Teaching in the States is really different um, from teaching for Dodea and um it's, it's quite difficult for teachers um, to teach in the States. And so the job with Dodea is a lot easier for him, um, especially with his medical issues. And so he decided the same right in that same time that I was deciding to retire, he decided to go to Japan. So And you guys decided to stay with you stayed with the kids in the States. Is that so they could get like into college or get set up for? So my daughter is actually starting college um, here next month. And then um, my son is still in high school. And so I wanted to make sure that he had a solid high school experience where he was able to start at one high school and finish at that same high school. Um, Because I think at one point we counted up and he's been to something like 10 schools or something crazy and he's in 10th grade. So, I mean, (laughs) you know, that's, you know, we want as much stability for them as a teenager, especially during the high school years as you can possibly give them. And then you guys just stay connected through social media, like through the long distance relationship. Yep. So we, we actually use Facebook messenger and um, the biggest uh, thing for us, I think, the hardest thing to overcome at the beginning was the time difference, but uh, it's 15 hours. So he's 15 hours ahead. So um, we actually talk quite a few times a day. And so in the morning when I get up, I'll call him 
um, while I'm getting ready for work. I go to work quite early. I have to be there at 6 a.m. And so he's actually finishing his day at that point. And so I'll talk to him at that point. And then when I get off of work, I'll call him again and he's just waking up and it's the next day. And sometimes I even talk to him before I go to bed. So sometimes we'll talk three times a day and then he'll be home for the whole summer. So it sounds like you guys have such a good system and that it works for you guys and your family and gives your kids what you need, gives your husband the job that he wants. And and then you have your job with Department of Defense. How many years have you been out of the military? I retired in 2020. So this year will be. (laughs) I did. Yes. And uh, for the record, I did not get a retirement ceremony. Thank you, COVID. No, thank you, COVID. (laughs) I guess then it was after March of 2020. So had you already put your paperwork in before the pandemic started? Yes. Okay. So what was it like? You were talking about, like you said, change, but then you didn't mention that there was also a pandemic going on and like the world was changing in that way too. So what was the challenge of getting out of the military during a pandemic? I think transition's hard enough and that's an added thing, especially since you already put your paperwork in and then the pandemic happened and you didn't know that was coming. Yeah. So I had scheduled to have a retirement ceremony and we were actually getting pretty close. I had planned to have the ceremony in April and we were getting pretty close to the ceremony and it was about, I'd say a week or two out from the ceremony actually happening. And my family's tickets by the airline started getting canceled. And then when my uh, officiant that I had asked to come and officiate the ceremony, when him and his wife's tickets got canceled. I basically was like, okay, well, that's the last straw. I guess I'm just not going to have a ceremony. It's just too hard to do it during this time. And so I'm almost kind of glad because I'm sure that it would have been super emotional for me and I would have just stood up there and cried. So um, (laughs) it was probably better that I didn't have one. So I wouldn't be standing up and crying in front of a bunch of people. Besides the retirement ceremony, was there any challenges of like, did it make it harder to find a job? Or did you guys already have a plan that you were gonna take your time finding a job? Or because like, usually you go to career fairs and like, a lot of that stuff wasn't happening. Yeah, so I actually did prior to my retirement, I did um, the DOD has a skill bridge program. And so I did do a skill bridge program, um, actually did it with Boeing um, when I was in Arizona. And so I got to figure out and learn from them how their HR department worked. And what was really cool about that experience was that even prior to the pandemic, they only went to the office two days a week. And so I was working from home for Boeing three days a week, and then going to the office two days a week. And then when the pandemic hit, they were basically like, just stay home all five days until this is, you know, kind of over or it blows over or whatever the case may be. And then once my skill bridge was over in April, I had my terminal leave from April to June and my official retirement date was one July. And at that point, I already had a job um, lined up. And so I started that job And I actually worked at that job for a couple months. And then I wasn't there very long. I was only there like two and a half months. And then once I quit that job, I realized like my husband's leaving to go to Japan and it's 
better for me to sit down and think about long and hard if I really want to live here in Arizona. And I decided I wanted to live closer to my family. And I knew that if I wanted to work again, that I could get a job at Keesler. And that was really where I wanted to be. So I decided to make the move. That's awesome. I love how you stop and think about things. I think I sometimes I don't do that. I just like go, go, go. You're like, and then I stopped and I thought about what I really wanted. I was like, that's good advice. I need to do that more. <laughs> so I love that. So I always like to end the interview with what advice would you give to a young woman who's considering joining the military? I definitely think that considering the military is a great thing. And I would always encourage, I think it says a lot that I would encourage my own daughter to join the Air Force, which I have. And I actually, part of my job today is teaching airmen in tech school. And so I get to see them fresh out of basic training, uh, straight in the tech school environment. And I would say that if you think it might be something that you want to do, that my best piece of advice is just to jump in and do it. Because if you think you might want to do it, then it's well worth the experience for sure. Yeah. And I have a book coming out in September called A Girl's Guide to Military Service. So if you're listening and you're thinking about it, make sure to go and check out that book. And I'll have a link to it in the show notes. And I'm really excited for how it will help girls who are considering joining the military. So thank you for your time and for your advice at the end. I loved it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. episode. If this is your first time listening to Women of the Military podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes on the podcast. There are so many episodes and stories of women who've served in the military who can inspire you at whatever stage of the journey you're in, joining, serving, leaving the military, or just learning about the women who have served in the military. If you want to support Women of the Military podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash women of the military. And if you enjoyed Women of the Military podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app to help the podcast grow and reach more women who are considering military service.